Doc Ryan, Expedition 44. We have been on an incredible series on eschatology. And today I get to do one of my favorite things about the Old Testament, and that is to really work through the numbers in the book of Daniel connected to Revelation. Now, a lot of people in our westernized thinking, kind of maybe even Americanized ideas, have grown up thinking that the Bible probably says some things that I don't really see in it. And so you get into this conversation of end times and we think apocalypse, tribulation, mark of the beast, antichrist, all this kind of stuff. And this series on eschatology has really been diving in to see what the Bible exactly says. And so, as I've described, some of these ideas of kind of escapism or futurism really don't have a lot of roots in the Bible. It might only be a few verses. In fact, you have to use kind of a good bit of imagination after you just read the scripture to kind of get this out of it. And so, our goal is to just look at the scripture and say, if you sit down with the Bible in front of you for the first time and read this, what do you think it says? How, how do we understand it in the best lens? And, and can kind of dispel some of these ideas that didn't come around till the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, things like that. So this is exciting because Daniel is incredibly specific with dates and numbers that are forecasting the coming of the Messiah and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So today we're gonna to go all the way through that and look at the entire picture and how it speaks to us. I think the first thing you need to understand from my perspective is that I'm a partial preterist. So what that means is that when I read the book of Daniel and Revelation, almost all the prophecy that I see, I think was leading up to Jesus' death on the cross, the ending of an era, which was the old covenant, and the starting of the new covenant under Jesus. And we see that kind of culminating with the destruction of the temple. We've looked at a lot of things in this series, the Olivet Discourse, apocalyptic language, covenants, the Antichrist, Mark of the Beast, temple and sacred space. And we've looked at all those things and kind of dispelled some of these notions that you might have thought they were describing of all the things you might have heard growing up reading books and in churches and things like that. And we've connected those to the ending of eras. A lot of people think that the Bible has these secret codes all over it. And well, there is a little bit of truth to that. It's not usually what people think of these conspiracy theory type of YouTube videos that you see. Usually when people talk about these numbers, it's linked to numerology, the way that the ancient numbers actually had meaning and they were kind of organized in a way of patterns that made sense. There is a lot of this in the Bible. Today we're going to talk about the number 12. It's a number of completion about how that had significance. And of course, there's a lot of other numbers in the Bible with the same kinds of significance that actually did mean things. But today we're going to look at the numbers of the Old Testament and why this is so exact. Now, just so that we're on the same page, pretty much everybody is on, on the same idea that these 490 years specifically outlined in Daniel were to kind of show the prophetic coming of a Messiah. But where it gets more complicated, that, that's just a given. I don't know if too many scholars that would argue with that one. That's, that's the, the, the part that we all agree on. But it's from there that things get a little confusing. And there's some ideas that that 490 years, maybe metaphorically, might start again to be shown in the New Testament. And what I found is that the Old Testament 
was forecasting the, the coming of the Messiah in this incredibly precise way, but we don't have that in the New Testament looking at the second coming. And a lot of people have tried to do things to say that we do have that, but they just don't hold up. You might remember in 2017, there was a rabbi that, you know, kind of crunched all these numbers and kind of said, you know, if you do this and you do that, then Christ is coming on this specific date in 2017 that came and went and he didn't came. And so what we do have is that no one knows the time or the place. And so when we look at the Old Testament, it says, here's how many years and weeks coming to the Messiah. That's easy. But when it gets to the New Testament, the scripture that we what, that we do have doesn't have this prescription uh, or formula or set of numbers like we have in Daniel to show when the Messiah is coming back. It simply says, no one knows the time or the place. So why Daniel? Well, I don't really know the answer to that, but who Daniel is was a faithful Israelite, a Jew, who found himself wrapped up in the kingdom that overtook Israel, and he rises to the top here through faithfulness, even through the diaspora, to the point where he's greatly trusted and put in charge over this great nation. Now, Daniel is very interesting because we see him practicing a lot of the sacred covenant practices, rituals, thinking that God is asking the Jews to do, even in spite of being in exile. And so as we watch Daniel do this, we consider him the remnant. You might, might have watched our covenant videos and we got really into this remnant thinking. And so he's the remnant and you're going to Think about this because he takes all the wisest men of his nation together and he's going to start getting them thinking about the Messiah and things of God. So what we've got here is we've got Daniel trying to bring holiness back to the remnant, maybe all of his land. And how does he do that? He goes back to 2 Chronicles 7. You might remember this very this very prominent verse that tells, it's kind of a, a map of how to get back on track. And so he remembers this, that it says, if I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among the people, all these things, Daniel's going, that's what's happened. There's where we're at. We've, you know, his God turned his face on us. But, but the scripture goes on to say this. It says, then I will establish the throne of my kingdom according to as I have covenanted with David thy father. There shall not fail thee man to be rule in Israel. And so he's kind of taking this and he's saying, I know how to get us back on track. This is what we have to do. So he's, he's doing those things here. So he's doing the if my people thing. He's reading this and he's saying, I'm going to bring this nation back. What an amazing thing. And so we, we pick up here in between Daniel 7, 8, and 9, and we're reading actually how this is going to take place. Now there's something really neat here. I'm going to maybe go off on a couple little rabbit trails, but... That's actually what I think is one of the best parts of this story. So today I'm going to be reading from the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is dated around uh, 3rd century BCE. And it's really the earliest collection of scripture that's all put together that we kind of have. And so I like this because I think Daniel actually probably had something to do with how this came together. You see, when we refer to the Septuagint, we refer to it by a Roman numeral, which is LXX. Now, even if you're a scholar, you might have never heard what I'm going to say. So originally, 
They had this number addressed to it, but they didn't really know what it meant. And so from the earliest days, they're going to attribute this to the people that supposedly wrote it. They thought there were six from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that were instructed to get together to put, put this together. And the story goes that they came back and the manuscripts were exactly the same. I don't necessarily want to get into that, but there's a problem with the thinking. So for the first few series, you might have caught this, that the number is LXX, meaning 70, yet we know there are 72 scholars. So this is kind of mind-blowing. When you really think about this, you're wondering, how could they screw up that bad? 70 is not the same as 72, and there's another place in Scripture that kind of alludes to these two numbers, too, that, I'm again, I don't have time in, but the two numbers are interesting. But... They obviously would have known it was 72, so why didn't they call it 72 instead of 70? This has been an age-old question for a long time, and I actually think it ties in with today's conversation. 70 has a lot of significance. There's 70 years as part of this equation is going to go that we're going to get to, but then there's also the destruction of the temple that we know historically happened in 70 AD. Now remember, Daniel was in charge of the Magi. They were keeping track on all of these biblically recorded numbers. What if 70 referred to the destruction of the temple. It was going to be the scripture that the Christians would have had. The traditional Jews, they weren't using this in the synagogue. They were using their Hebrew text. This was kind of the working man's copy. It was what they had their hands on, the language they more speak. So today it would be like our English NIV translation. It's what we're using. Do we all speak Hebrew, Latin, Aramaic, Greek anymore? No, we're reading NIV American English translations of these things that happened. So when you think of it in that light, the 70 actually might have some really neat significance. So speaking of 70, let's dive in. 70 weeks have been determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city for sin to be ended and to seal up transgressions and to blot out the iniquities and to make atonement for iniquities and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal the vision and the prophet and to anoint the most Holy, and it keeps going on through verse 25, 26, 27. You can read that in front of you. These are significant things. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament atonement words going on here, and we're going to look at that exactly how it flushes out in the Messiah. Now, before we really dive into the numbers here, I need to say something. People calculate these numbers two different ways. Both of them are actually true or correct. So the first one is by calculating it by the what's called the mystery of the Shemitah. Now to do this, you have to understand that Israel had a seven-year agricultural cycle, and this is linked to the Jubilee years. And so you've probably heard of that. You can look it up really quick if you want to get into that. But when we break down this cycle, it's going to point to some exact dates. Now that's not the only way to do it, and I love this. Make sure you get this. There's another way that people calculate this, these years in Daniel as well, and that's called the 360-day solar calendar. The Essenes would have used this. A lot of traditional Jews went by this. In fact, today we refer to it as the prophetic calendar because as we look at this calendar in the Old Testament, there are lots of dates that we can kind of understand from a lens that God may have given them this or put it together. So as we look at both of these calendars, what we're going to find is it doesn't matter which way we calculate this, they both come out 
to the exact same dates. This is so cool. This is like kind of God's way of checking his math or having us check our math of just saying, this isn't just coincidence in the Old Testament. This was put together so that you might know. Now, I need to say something about this. This is different than what make people make out the New Testament to be having numbers about the second coming, possibly still in Daniel or in the book of Revelation. You see, this is super solid. We have two different ways that we calculate these numbers that are exact numbers that we have in the scripture, and they both work out the same. We all agree on this. You'll be hard-pressed to find a, a scholar that doesn't just say, yeah, this works. Yet when we get into kind of this futurism, New Testament idea of trying to figure out these, these dates for like the Antichrist and when the temple will be rebuilt, as I've already said in earlier videos, the dog doesn't hunt. It doesn't work. None of it really makes sense. And especially the dates don't make sense. They're, they, they just don't work like these dates do. In fact, there really aren't any dates to go off of, if you want to put it that way. So first, it's important to realize that Jeremiah 9.2 says that the desolation of Jerusalem is going to last 70 years. Just hold on to that a minute. Now, let's go back to 2 Chronicles where we started and read a couple more verses. It says, But if you turn away from and forsake my statutes, my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go on and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck them up by the roots of my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for the name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among the nations. Now, just slightly after this, 2 Chronicles 36, we're, we're going to see that the land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of the desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word spoken by Jeremiah. Now, this is really important. Throughout the Bible, we kind of see a day for a year thinking. And if you remember back when the Israelites came to the promised land and they have to wander the wilderness for 40 years, it was because of kind of the unbelief of 40 days that happened. And then later, we also see that in Ezekiel 4, kind of the same thing that it says, I have appointed thee a day for a year and a day for a year. And so the idea here is that in God's eyes, we're going to kind of multiply this kind of thinking. We don't really know why God does it this way, but that's what the scripture said. Now, as I mentioned, people are really united on this part. And so when you break this down and you look at the seven weeks and three score and two weeks, that's 69 weeks, 483 years, measured unto the Messiah, concerning the final week of prophecy, the 70th week, however, this is where people have different ideas. And so you might remember in our first film that we kind of went over this, we said some people think a dispensationalist view would take these weeks and then stop and say this one other week is going to be unfolded 2,000 years later. I, I don't see that myself. I see it as a continuous 70 weeks. And so if you look at it, it seems to be if I was just reading what this said, why why would it make sense that there'd be this gap? You might remember Matt said, Ryan, can you drive me home? I live seven miles away and we get to mile eight and I go, Matt, I thought you said seven and it turns out being 2,007 miles away or even farther than that. It just, it doesn't kind of logically follow the way the rest of the scripture seems to be applied hermeneutically. So just consider that. All right, so just getting all this straight, whether you're looking at a, a partial preterist view or a dispensational view, one of them is going to say the 70th week is 
future. The other one is going to say it was fulfilled. One of them is going to say there's this huge gap between the 69 and the 70th week. The other one's going to say, no, it's just like we read it. it there's no gap. One of them is going to say 70 week is all about the Antichrist. The other is just saying Christ. So when we interpret what the scripture says here, it says 69 weeks is measured unto the Messiah. In the midst of the three and a half, he'll be cut off. Now, when I read this, I say in the midst, halfway through, right in the middle, three and a half into ministry here, it will be cut off. Those Hebrew words are pretty specific. That would be total cut off murdered, you might even say, and then the other three and a half years are going to be looked as the closing of ministry to the Jews, and I'll get to that in a minute. All right, so regardless of which view or we're going to take there, we're, we're just going to break down these numbers for a second. So we need to start in verse 25, and it says the 77s are going to start with this decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now we know that that happened in 444 BC with Artaxerxes. So that's where our timeline's going to begin. Now from here, we're going to kind of just go with the Shemitah first so that you can understand that. So diving into it, we have to talk about Jubilee and things like that. So Leviticus 25, after every 49 years, the Jewish people would celebrate this year of Jubilee. And it was announced on the 10th day of the seventh month, and this was the day of atonement makes sense. It was only on that day that the high priest was going to enter the Holy Holies. Once inside, he would sprinkle the blood of a goat on a bull inside this holy place. Again, sacred space, sacred ground. And he's going to offer this offering for the sins of Israel. You see that in Leviticus 16, Exodus 29. And this act is going to announce the 50th year or the year of Jubilee. During this year, all debts were to be canceled. Now, that's a little controversial. I've made a couple references to that. The, the completely law-abidant Jew at this time actually is going to try to continue repaying those debts regardless. But the idea was that by law, all were forgiven. So just go with that one for a second. So the 77s, or 490 years, are 10 years of Jubilee. Did you get that? According to this verse, on the 10th and final year of the Jubilee, God would cancel all of mankind's debt for giving people forever. And we know that happened with the Messiah. Now, I told you we're kind of unpacking some really cool stuff. So guess what year that was? AD 33. Guess what year Jesus died? You say, Ryan, how do you know Christ died in AD 33? Well, I'm going to make some calculations. Follow with me for a second. So we know that Jesus died under the reign of Pontius Pilate. That's 26 to 36 AD. And most scholars would say that it took place the 14th of Nisan. I don't necessarily want to get totally into that, but that's, that's pretty, pretty accepted in the scholarly world. So then we look at what... Fridays fell at what years? And we have 30, 33, and 36. Now, out of those options, knowing that Christ was probably born a little bit later than zero, where people put him, I would say probably somewhere around four, and we have to guess which year makes the most sense, guess what? It's 33 AD. 
But it even gets better. You see, we know from Luke that Jesus entered his ministry about 30 years, and so if we look at, you know, maybe he's around 33, that three and a half year thing cut halfway through, there's some significance going on there as well. Okay, but it gets even better. You see, Daniel 9.21, when the angel comes to visit Daniel, we get this little indicator, and I love it when we see stuff in the scripture like this. It says that the angel came before the evening sacrifice or the last sacrifice of the day. Now think about this for a second. There's a, there's a couple ways to consider this. Daniel was the remnant. He was observant. And at this point, he may have had a priest making sacrifices during these times, but there might not have been. You see, it could have just been a reference to when that sacrifice would have or should have historically been made. But either way, the scripture tips us off at this beautiful little line before the evening sacrifice. Now, are you ready for this? Guess what time the evening sacrifice typically took place? Three o'clock. Now, if you fast forward all these years and we see when Jesus was cut off, guess what time it's probably attributed to? Three o'clock. You see, not only does Daniel forecast this right to the year, but it's actually going to forecast it pretty much right to the hour. Now, you can tell how precise all of this is. I don't believe that this part of Daniel is loose at all. I think, I think it's telling it exactly the way that it is. And so when I read this, I read 12 things happening. 12 is the number of completion. And I actually think there's significance that it just lists the 12, but I wanna break those down for you. So, so watch this. Jerusalem was to be restored first. We know that obviously happened. The second one was the streets and the wall were to be rebuilt in troublous times. The book of Ezra kind of talked about a lot of that confronting, rebuilding years, things like that. So we saw that happen. The third one was the whole, most holy was to be anointed. And as I mentioned, the LXX, the Septuagint says that Christ specifically, Hebrew, it's the Messiah. So this this isn't really a discussion. It's very clear on what was happening there. The, the Holy One kind of works into this too, but we, we don't even need to go there. Daniel's prophecy revealed that the time period unto the Messiah would be 69 weeks, 483 years. This is measured to the time when Jesus was baptized and anointed and became the ministry as the anointed one. For the Messiah was to be cut off. And so again, when I read that cut off, I see that it's going to be 69 weeks, 7 plus 62, were to measure the Messiah. After the 69 weeks, he shall be cut off. Now, after 69 weeks here, it, it can't mean in or during the 69 weeks or anything like that. The Messiah was to be cut off after the 69 weeks. So there's only a week left. And that's one week, three and a half, and three and a half. So the term cut off implies that the Messiah would die this murderous death. And that's kind of a lot of Isaiah 53 terminology going on there too. Now the next thing is going to be to finish the transgression. So he literally says it is finished, that the transgression. Well, what transgression? Well, you might remember the transgression. We always talk Deuteronomy 32, the fallen spiritual beings. Remember, at the cross, they're defeated. This ties in with that. Matt and I have mentioned that 
earlier on the past there. Now there's also more going on too. There's also this, this conquering of sin here once and for all as we read in Hebrews that they're not going to tirelessly have to keep doing this, that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And we read here to make the end of sins. And of course that doesn't mean that man's going to stop sinning. Of course man's going to stop. But remember when we say the blood of the cross runs both ways, it covers everyone. Then we have number seven, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Now the word reconciliation used here is the same word that's used in Leviticus, which means to make atonement. Isn't that cool how that flushes through the scripture like that? Great picture. Eight, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Christ's redemptive work on the cross, of course. I love Romans 5 here. By the righteousness of one shall many be made righteous unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Matthew 3.15, Hebrews 1, made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. All over scripture, we're reading this. Now, not only are we reading this, but all these things have been fulfilled. And that's kind of the wordage that it's using is that they're going to be fulfilled with the Messiah, not this kind of gap way out there thinking. Now, the next thing says to seal up vision and prophecy. Now, this one I just look at, we're, we're obviously talking about a coming Messiah. And it's like a king with a seal says, I'm closing the envelope. It's done. It's finished. This has been expressed in this writing more than once. So why would we think that it wouldn't be finished right there? Now, this is really neat. The next one is the covenant. Now, we did a whole video of covenants, but, but he shall confirm the covenant. Every time we come to the table, we're reminded of this. This Through this blood is the new covenant offered for the remission of your sins. That's beautiful. So then we have sacrifices to cease. And we know that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We no longer need a physical temple. That Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. This one seems to be easy, but there's also some really neat things here. Sometimes people question, well, how, how do you know these things? Well, it's tied to sacred ground, sacred space. Atonement Passovers is where we count to come up with these dates. Now I'm going to share something here. Along with this is the three and a half years and the three and a half years where at the middle of it Christ died. Now he's going to command the disciples in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, to go preach to all of the world. But there's something interesting. After the Great Commission, and, and I'm going to challenge you to really study this, guess what? They don't start preaching to all of the world yet. Did you ever catch that? Who do they preach to for the next three and a half years? See, you see, from the time that, that Christ dies on the cross to three and a half years later, which is the stoning of Stephen, the disciples are still just ministering to the Jews. Wow. And then after this, that's where we're going to kind of see this, this opening up more than that. And they're going to go out to all of the world to regather the nations in terms of the Deuteronomy 32 thinking. And I love how Paul really gets into that. Isn't that amazing? So when you look at this and you have three and a half cut off, death on the cross, another three and a half, and that is the end of the era that I kind of keep talking about of this is, this is the time for the Jews. Now this is when it's opened up for the Gentiles. And there's another thought on that era which comes to 70 AD. So this is why Matt and I in this series have been going all back to these covenants over and over with Israel. Why we did a whole video just on covenants because the 70 years is covenant thinking. Sacred ground, sacred space, sacred thinking. 
Now, the last part of the prophecy talks about the destruction of the temple. And so we hear Christ saying that he will destroy it and rebuild it in three days. But it's also, we read lots of stuff kind of building up to this. And when, when I see it, you know, possibly pointing to tribulation and things like that, to me, it's all pointing to 70 AD. That's where it all culminates. And so there's not a date given for this time in, in Daniel, but there's plenty of words to kind of talk about it happening. And then historically, when we see it play out, Matt and I have given you a lot of understanding for this too. It, it just jumps off the page. It just makes complete sense. But what doesn't really make sense to me is to take this 2,000 years later. I mean, all of the words of, of Jesus were saying, this is coming, this is coming. Within your generation, 40 years, this is coming. And then we see that it happened. So I think I've presented this in a way that everybody can just gravitate to that totally makes sense. If you just count the numbers in Daniel, this is the most literal way to understand all of this. To, to take it any other way, it seems like you're really kind of using a lot of imagination or stretching things to try to make it work within your, your view or your framework. And I just kind of look at it and say, why? Our goal on this channel is always just to take scripture and say, look at the culture, look at the way it was written, look at what it, look at what is being supported in the rest of scripture, the whole lens of the Bible, what makes the most sense. This seems to make a lot of sense. Now, other people kind of take this 49 years and they say, now what about the future? Now, remember, the numbers were very specific going up to the Messiah. After this, we don't have anything. People try to tell you that in their Bible, these 490 years get doubled, multiplied times this, 70th week might be 2,000 years out there. There's not much to base that on. I mean, you'd have to get pretty imaginative to go there. And that's the point Matt and I have made earlier when you get into this escapist, futurist thinking that there just really isn't much in the scripture. And even the stuff that they try to use that way, it's so much more rooted in what was happening during Christ's lifetime, during that generation, and within the fall of the temple at 70 AD. All right, so let me sum this up. Let me just give you a really quick conclusion in case you've been listening to this. I know it's deep. Maybe you didn't quite get everything. So I'm going to just finish by spelling this out very clearly with exactly how I see this in the timeline that it likely happened in. So 70 weeks happened in the past in chronological order. Now to be clear, these prophetic 70 weeks don't equal 70 literal days, not according to Numbers 14. It's a prophetic way of giving days that's counted in years. So 70 prophetic weeks equals 490 prophetic days or literal years. So the historical view of this prophecy is that 490 years were determined for the children of Israel. Going forth of that command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem happened in 457 BC, that's Ezra 7. During the first seven weeks, 49 years, Jerusalem was rebuilt and completed in 408. Then 62 weeks, 434 years, followed, and at their completion, Jesus was baptized, beginning this earthly ministry, and then we see the last three and a half years unfold after his death, which makes seven years total with the crucifixion in the middle. At the end of those three and a half years, a stoning of Stephen, there's going to be time allotted for the children of Israel that we see the door close, and then the covenants fulfilled, and the gospel went to the Gentiles. 
Now, some people, as I mentioned, don't see it that way, but as I have said, I think this is the most clear way to interpret Scripture without getting some crazy imaginative idea of interpreting verses and dates that just simply aren't there. The dates that are there are incredibly precise, and I love how they're knitted together, and it's double-checked, as I've mentioned. We've got two different systems, and they both arrive at the same time group of dates. I hope you really enjoyed this study looking at the 490 years and the numerology of it. And I think it just all makes sense in bringing light to what God has told us in the scriptures of when his Messiah was coming for 490 years before that and watching Daniel and the Magi prepare for these things happening and we see it beautifully unfold in front of us. May God bless you and keep you.